0: Well, I've been really blessed in our study of Titus, and especially preparing for these last few verses. It's really ministered to me. I appreciate God's word so much. And as we come to the conclusion today in the book of Titus, you may remember when we started in um, chapter 1, verse 5, the original assignment for Titus was to put what remained in order on the island of Crete, So what have we learned in the book of Titus? What have we learned? When Jesus wrapped up the Sermon on the Mount, he did so with a challenge that seems appropriate for us here as we close this book of Titus, to be a wise listener and not a foolish listener. If you remember in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, when Jesus said, Every one that hears these words of mine and does them, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it was founded upon a rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For his teaching was one that had authority and not as their scribes. Are we astonished at the teaching and the word of God, this book of Titus, what it has taught us? The words of God, are we astonished at them? And this wonderful book of Titus has given to us clear instruction on how to build our lives on the rock of God's word, and to avoid foolishness. So let's start with the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is so rich, it's so, it is the bread of life. It is the words of God that instruct us. And come and meet with us, teach us from your word today, that we may grow in our knowledge of you, and your working in our lives. And maybe just love your word and study it and learn from it. In Christ's name, amen. So we're going to pick up in chapter 3 of Titus, and verses 9 through 11, the first three verses, and I'm going to call these a call to confront controversy. So let's pick up here in verse 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that such that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. So if we go back one verse to verse eight, it tells us this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which believe in God. And these are wonderful things that Titus says to affirm. Uh, ESV uses the word insist. KJV uses the word affirm. And I kind of like this word affirm because it makes for a better outline for our study here. So affirm these things. And verse 9 says to avoid these things. The things to affirm are in verses 1 through 8. And then the things to avoid are in verses 9 through 11. And the fourth word in verse 9 also comes across in various ways, in various translations. Some use questions and others controversies. And I'm going to go with the word controversies for today's study. So Paul gives Titus a list of things to avoid. Avoid foolish questions, controversies, and genealogies and contentions in striving about the law. And then he says, why? Because they are unprofitable and vain or worthless. Titus, don't waste your time or anyone else's time on these things. And this is familiar instruction because it's been repeated in the pastoral epistles. In First Timothy 1, 4 and 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, Second Timothy 2:23 to 26, the Lord's servant should avoid foolish, ignorant controversies because the Lord's servant isn't to be quarreling. But Paul often found himself in the middle of so many controversies, so what does he mean by this instruction? Look at, um, if you look at Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate, and they ended up at the Jerusalem Council over controversy. And Paul often himself stirred up controversy in Acts 23.6, When Paul perceived, when he was before the council, perceived that there was one part Sadducees and the other part Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope of the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. So Paul on purpose stirred up dissension. And in Galatians, when Paul brought up a controversy with the apostle Peter his face in front of a group. And then in Titus 1, Paul tells Titus to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And at various times, theological controversy has caused godly men to gather and consider the scripture, which has resulted in several very good doctrinal statements and catechisms. And it was controversy that led Martin Luther on October 31st in 1517 to nail his 95 thesis to the church door at Wittenberg, Germany, which led to the Reformation, and Titus was called in verse 8 to affirm godliness, and God has used many godly men throughout history to take a stand against sin in the middle of controversy. You probably remember the significant event in October 16th in the year 1555 in the city of Oxford, England, when Hugh Latimer And Nicholas Ridley were burned at the stake for believing and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ under the reign of Queen Mary of England. In total, she martyred 283 people for standing up for the gospel and causing controversy. And it was Hugh Latimer that said to Ridley those well-known words, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace and England, I trust, shall never be put out. End quote. So here today, we benefit from the controversy that men have created when they've taken a stand for the gospel. So are we willing to take a stand for the gospel in the midst of controversy? So Paul is definitely not telling Titus to avoid all controversy. There's a word here that Paul uses that should keep us on the correct path. What does verse 9 say? Avoid foolish. Controversies. Avoid foolishness. Some people enjoy foolish discussions simply for the enjoyment of debate, but Paul helps us out by going on to divine for us what is a foolish controversy. Foolish controversies are defined for us as genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Genealogies were not given to us to provide entertainment and endless speculation. But genealogies exist in the Bible for our benefit so that we can know that Jesus came as a descendant of Abraham, that Jesus is the great king that descended from King David. Dissensions and battles about the law. We go back to chapter 1, verse 10. There are many empty talkers and deceivers. They like to talk and talk, especially those of the circumcision party. Titus, make sure that you don't have itchy ears that want to hear the latest speculation. Avoid these foolish things. It may seem that these things are going to lead to new discoveries, but Paul says this this is not so. They're unprofitable and worthless. The inventiveness of these false teachers, along with the curiosity of naive listeners, may lead them to think they've discovered new things. But when people take the scripture and they start working it like a jigsaw puzzle and moving the pieces around and putting it together into their own meeting for their own satisfaction, then it becomes unprofitable and vain. It leads nowhere and it settles nothing. And then in verse 10 and 11, he tells us how to approach this situation. This kind of person should be confronted with an admonition towards reclamation. Reclamation. If these foolish things are to be avoided, then the person that stirs up division should be confronted. There are people who generally want to know the truth, but then there are people who stir up division. Again, various translations use different words. For the start of verse 10, KJV, a man that is an heretic, and then ESV is a person who stirs up division. In regards to the word heretic here in verse 10, this is a unique Greek word that only appears once in the scripture, right here. And commentators are pretty much agreed on this definition. And I'm going to give you what A.W. Tozer says about this word. This Greek word for heretic was different in English then than it is now. Currently, heretic in English means a false teacher, It is someone who does not teach the truth by selectively teaching and denying truth and builds a fabric of untruth. This is not the meaning here. The word heretic here means someone who is resentful, someone who has had his feelings hurt and gathers other malcontents around him. This person does not teach false doctrine. It is a person that is a divider and a troublemaker and also a critic. So we see that this person is to be confronted as a warning. The person that is not teachable, but is committed to stirring up division. He is to be warned once and then twice with a view towards recovery. And we are warned to beware of the person that hardens his heart towards a gentle rebuke. He becomes self-condemned by his own actions and attitudes. And when Paul left the church at Ephesus there in Acts chapter 20, he did it with the same kind of admonition. He says to them, I've been teaching and preaching among you, and you know that my hands have ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. And when Paul departed, does he say that everything's going to be all right? No, he doesn't. What did Paul warn the church there In Ephesus, look at Acts 20, verse 29. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And um, from among their own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Titus, stay alert. Those in leadership, stay alert. Hold firm to the trustworthy word. Have a welcoming voice, but also have a warning voice. If after loving warnings, he continues to harden his heart towards a gentle reproof and continues to show no sign of repentance and remains in his division without the fear of God, he is self-condemned by his own actions and attitude. For each of us, It's a great reminder that it's a dangerous thing to bring division or havoc into the church of God. And now we move on from warning to the positive. Look at verses 12 through 14, and I'm going to call this God's providence in the ordinary. So let's pick up here in verse 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent to come unto me in Nicopolis, For I have determined there to winter, bring Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey diligently, that nothing be wanting unto them, and let us also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. The God of, our God is a God of ordinary events. And we come to the normal kind of sign-off that we typically see at the end of one of Paul's books, Where he writes things like, When I send, be diligent to come, for I've determined there to winter, bring people on their journey, let our people learn, maintain good works, be not unfruitful. Titus I want you to come see me at Nicopolis, and since you're gonna travel away from Crete, I will send Artemis and Tychicus to replace you. And in these verses I'm reminded of God's providence in the little things of our lives. God's providence is described in the in our confession, the London Baptist Confession of 1689, as God, the good creator of all things, in his infinite power and wisdom, does uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, to the end for which they were created, according to to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. The confession goes on to explain the result of God's providence. God's providence is to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, infinite goodness, and mercy. Look at what Paul says. I will send. I have determined. Make sure our people learn to do good works that they may not be unfruitful. In the same way, God speaks to us in ordinary language that we can understand. For example, in Titus 2.2, he writes, Older men are to be self-controlled. We should not miss that God speaks to us in clear, ordinary language that we can understand. And in these ordinary events, we see God using ordinary people the God of ordinary people. There are four names listed here. Two are mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, and two of these four are only mentioned once, right here. Artemis and Zenos, the lawyer. So much of the work in God's kingdom is carried out by so many people who are unknown. When we speak a word for our Lord that nobody else witnesses, when mothers give up so much of their time caring for children, When you're at work and you diligently do that extra work that nobody else sees? Even though I happen to be up front here today teaching, I'm just a very ordinary person just like anyone else here. We have a God who uses ordinary people for his extraordinary purposes, just like Artemis. As we go about our business this week, we should be encouraged to labor diligently for our Lord in all we do because God cares for us. And I find great encouragement in Hebrews 6.10 For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have shown toward his name and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. In the family of God, God cares for his children. Even though we don't know anything else about Zenos other than he's a lawyer that doesn't make him a nobody because our Heavenly Father cared for him and our Heavenly Father cares for each of us and gives us our significance, and our identity. And then we move from ordinary events, ordinary people, to ordinary days. In verse 12, when I send, and I have determined to spend winter there, sending and spending our time. As Jesus taught us about our time in Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Someone took these verses here and wrote a poem that has become well known goes like this. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. is what comes after that. And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And as we have spent these last seven weeks studying this book, it reminds me of the passing of time, as we have seen here in these verses. The care of God and the things that we would consider as the ordinary events of life. And we're going to move on now to verse 15, and we conclude with God's grace, all that are with me salute you, greet them that love us in the face. Grace be with you all. There's an old Anglican prayer that Alistair Begg often uses, and it goes like this: Father, what we do not know, teach us; what we have not, give us; what we are not, kindly make us for your son's sake. Now I was captured and thought by this prayer as I was studying here in Titus. And there have been some very pointed and significant teaching in God's holy word throughout this book of Titus. What have we learned? How do we expect to learn anything from this book? And it's only by God's grace that we learn. Verse 4 of chapter 1 started out with grace, and the book ends with grace. And as we're seeking to learn God throughout the Bible... God can only be understood by grace. The good news does not describe for us what we need to do to become acceptable to God. The good news is what God has done for us as sinners so that we can know him. The free, undeserved love and favor of God, the source of all benefits that we receive from God. Romans eleven six. If it is by grace, then it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What does grace teach us? Grace teaches us in Genesis 3 that we are made in God's image. Through faith we understand our creator. 1 Corinthians 11, 7, that we are the image and glory of God, but sin has caused us to reject the light of the gospel. And we have an enemy, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that, tells us the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Colossians 3.10 tells us that we are to put on the new self and be renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. So how are we renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator? I think we need an example. We need an example here that we've studied. So look back, Titus chapter 2. How does it start out? Titus chapter 2, what does it start with? Teach these things that are sound doctrine. Okay, what do the first few verses there say in Titus chapter 2? Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, and loving and steadfastness. Older women, likewise, to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, Or slaves to much wine. There to teach what is good. And so train the younger women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. In your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. These words are sound doctrine from God. Do these words of God shine in our heart as the truth of God? If we see them shine, it's only by the grace of God. It is only by God's grace that we know these things written in this book are true. And it's the grace of God that teaches us of God's plan to save sinners. When the goodness of, and kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us, but according to God's own mercy. How does that happen? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit which He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So being justified by His grace, we may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy. Affirm these things. Not only does grace teach us these things, grace provides these things. We learn of salvation by God's grace. We receive salvation by God's grace. But then we have the struggles that we have. We think poorly, we act badly, we get jealous, we lie, we cheat. We lust after the things of this world. We get stuck on ourselves. Do I need to go on with our struggles? Or am I only describing myself? Do we really need to review our behavior to understand our need of God's grace? How do we bring the truth of God's word into our lives? It's by his grace. These responses are wonderfully demonstrated in a parable in Luke 18. So, we'll Pick up in verse 9 of Luke 18. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up in the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, idolaters, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, but the tax collector stood off and would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted." As we conclude this book of Titus, I hope that's our response. God is having mercy upon me as a sinner because I see these words as the truth of God. They're being applied to my life. I have a desire to obey the instruction in this book as I see the fruit of obedience growing in my life. The Apostle Paul, in his younger years, thought he was on his A-game when he was persecuting the church And dragging people out of the church to be martyred. And then the light of God's truth shined in his heart and asked, Why are you persecuting me? And revealed the truth of God's word. And he asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. These two men went up into the temple. One was tackling life by doing all the right religious things and was proud of his good works. And the other, by humility, had a humble request for God's grace. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How do we confront our needs? By God's grace shining in our hearts to illuminate the truth of God's word. You talk to two different people about the truth of God's word One person responds by arguing and the other person responds by obedience to God. What's the difference? The light of God's truth shining in the heart. As the hymn writer wrote in the hymn Rock of Ages, not the labors of my hands can fulfill your law's demands. You must save and you alone. Helpless look to you for grace. Wash me, Savior, or I die. It is only by God's grace that God can make us what we are not. The person at the temple treated other people with contempt because he felt good about his life. I feel great because of the things I am doing. I fast, I tithe, and I'm happy with my life because I'm not like the other people here at church. The other man did not have a speech. He only had a plea. Have mercy on me, a sinner. All that we have is by the grace of God. I pray that we conclude our study with a better understanding of God's truth that is working in our lives, and a better understanding of what God's grace does for us. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. Let's conclude our study of Titus, The same way we started our study, let's read this wonderful book in its entirety. If you would please, let's look at Titus chapter 1 and close, conclude by reading this book. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars. "'Evil Beasts, Lazy Gluttons. "'This testimony is true. "'Therefore, rebuke them sharply, "'that they may be sound in the faith, "'not devoting themselves to Jewish myths "'and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. "'To the pure, all things are pure, "'but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. "'But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. "'They profess to know God, "'but they deny Him by their works.' They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith and love and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, the younger men are to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, not to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need, and be not and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Take it, shine the light of your word into our hearts that we would see the truth of it that we would be obedient to it, that we would see you working in our lives by your grace. May your grace be with us all. In Christ's name, amen.